0: This is Brandon Stokely, the slot machine.
1: Stokely, down the sideline! Can they catch him? Stokely, wow!
0: Touchdown! And you're listening to The Bridge.
1: Shut up and sit down. listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund.
0: Hello
2: everyone, you're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast bringing you this sports show. What's it like to have played 15 years in the National Football League? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 92 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 24 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode and additional content from the show on Thursday nights, both on iTunes under the Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. Most people that have visited in or around New York City have been subjected to riding their subway system to get around. And while that might seem like a fun and exciting adventure and experience, new riders are quickly introduced to a miserable world and disgruntled populace who would murder the nearest civilian if it meant getting to their destination that much faster. Just swipe your card, keep your head down, and get off in a semi-orderly fashion at your stop and don't piss off anyone any more than they already are. But when LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers were in the concrete jungle to play the Knicks, the squad decided to take the train back to their hotel instead of waiting in traffic. The ordeal was filmed with the excitement of riding your first ride in Disney World. Fellow New Yorkers, however, were not as impressed. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News red Like Real News. LeBron James is a self-proclaimed king, and Instagrammed on Tuesday morning that he was indeed the king of New York, after his Cleveland Cavaliers erased a 23-point deficit to beat the Knicks by three at Madison Square Garden. While he isn't necessarily wrong and has been the best player in New York City for at least the past decade... A king must remember that he's higher than his court. After the morning shoot-around before Monday night's game against the Knicks, the bus that was to take the Cavs back to the hotel was stuck in traffic. So rather than waiting, the team decided to slum it up with the rest of New York's people and take the subway. The Cavaliers and their king donned full Cleveland gear instead of their usual robes of royalty and headed down to Penn Station and into the gallows of misery. LeBron humbly recorded the experience for social media, saying that it was only his second time getting on a train and first doing so in New York and that he hoped to get on the right train, which is a humorous fear, considering that if J.R. Smith could get into a fight while waiting for drunk pizza during his playing days with the Knicks, he most certainly could handle New York City transit. Once on board, LeBron took to social media once more, now seated on the train throne and giddily interacting with his teammates while saying, quote, we on this train. Strangely absent from the ride, however, were videos from other train riders, who most likely didn't even look up from their phones when the calves graced the underground with their presence. Indeed, one train goer, comedian James Michelangelo, was far from starstruck when the calves climbed aboard. And when LeBron flashed his camera phone his way during the video of the ride, promptly greeted the king with the same sentiment that surely would have been shared with most New Yorkers. Quote, can you not? Of course, New Yorkers are no strangers to celebrities riding the subway and treat them with the same shared disdain that they would to the homelesses or train performers that are also a staple in most rides. Even the official Twitter account for the New York Metropolitan Transportation Authority was unimpressed, tweeting, quote, Thanks so much for taking the subway, LeBron. But the king of this town is Kristaps Porzingis, and we're riding with the Knicks tonight. Hashtag Knicks tape. Unfortunately, it wasn't soon after that the MTA suffered yet another loss after that winning tweet, as the current King of New York went on to drop 23, 9, and 12 in the victory over the Knicks. Alas, it appears that the best shot for the Knicks in beating the Cavs that night was for the team to accidentally trip onto the tracks or for the team to not remember. To stand clear of the closing doors, please.
1: Stand clear of the closing doors, please. I'm John Lund
2: for sports news red like real news. Let's take a quick break to watch The King and I When we come back, we'll talk to a former wide receiver in the National Football League about his playing days and what he's up to now as a sports broadcaster. We'll be right back on The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into The Bridge 24-7 at 929-Bridge-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know, what is your least favorite mode of public transportation, and why? a quick housekeeping note for the bridge we will be off next week for the thanksgiving holiday and of course in lieu of a live show you can always catch up on any previous shows at londonbridge.com or on itunes the bridge will return live on wednesday november 29th with the podcast to follow on thursday november 30th then just two more shows after that to close out 2017 Now to this week's guest in Brandon Stokely, a 15-year wide receiver in the National Football League, two-time Super Bowl champion, and now the co-host of the Stokely and Zach Show on 104.3 The Fan in Denver, weekdays from noon to three mountain time to cover the Denver Broncos. Brandon was one of the best slot receivers in the game during his playing days and was fortunate enough to play on a team with one of the best defenses in NFL history in the Ravens and on a team with one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history in close friend Peyton Manning. You also might remember him from one of the best catches in Denver Broncos history, especially if you happen to also play a lot of Madden. This was a lot of fun for me, not only as a Broncos fan, but as a fan of football, and Brandon was more than kind with his time and telling some great stories both on and off the field. We'll talk about how he came to play in the National Football League and what he did to find success on the field, stories from winning the Super Bowl with the Ravens and catching the game's first touchdown pass. Stories from playing with Peyton Manning as his quarterback, both with the Colts and with the Broncos, and possibly wooing Peyton to come to Denver in 2012. Some highs and lows from his career, transitioning into sports radio, and what the hell is wrong with the Denver Broncos now? You can follow Brandon on Twitter. He's at B Stokely14. That's B S T O K L E Y 14 That's B-S-T-O-K-L-E-Y 14. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Brandon Stokely. He played in the National Football League for 15 years and won two Super Bowls. Now the co-host of the Stokely and Zach show on 104.3 The Fan in Denver. Weekdays from noon to three mountain time. Brandon, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me on.
2: No problem. It's my pleasure to get to chat with you. And we are both doing well coming into this interview watching Duke be victorious over Michigan State. So maybe that will help us as we go along. And I wanted to get started by turning back the clocks a little bit, as I'm sure most people that interview you like to do. When did it hit you that you were good enough to play in the NFL?
0: Um I guess when I got drafted maybe and it still didn't hit me then because I still felt like I had to prove myself and I still felt like the NFL was um you know going to be tough to uh, attain and achieve and uh maybe when I made the the roster uh in my in my first year you know I went through college and I had some 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 success there early on my red shirt freshman year my sophomore year and then I really felt like maybe I had a chance I played at a small school um, so wasn't quite sure you know the NFL to me was kind of like another world and uh, I ended up tearing my ACL my junior year uh, four games in so didn't know how NFL teams would feel about uh, my knee ACL, uh, came back my senior year and, and was healthy and felt good, but just wasn't quite sure, you know, how I stacked up with, uh, with, um, the caliber of players in the NFL.
2: You grew up around the game of football and got a chance to play for your father in college at Louisiana Lafayette, as it's now known. How special was it to not only get to play close to home, but to also get to play under him as well?
0: You know, I mean, it's, um, it's hard to put into words, you know, to be able to spend five years, five years of my college career with, with my dad, just every single day being around him, you know, you grow up as a coach's kid. Uh, you don't get to see your dad a a lot, you know, they're out on the road, they're recruiting, um, they're, they're really busy. Uh, so, uh, you know, to be able to have that experience, you know, it's, it's, it's priceless. So, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't trade anything, uh, for the world for that, for those five years, special, special time of my life. And, um, to be able to, to, spend that, uh, time with him every single day, uh, you know, a lot of great moments, but some, some down times there too. And, uh, we, we did it together and I look back on it with a, with a big smile and was just very blessed to have, have been able to do that.
2: You mentioned you were drafted by the Ravens as the fourth-round pick in 1999. How long did it take to feel comfortable with their offense and feel comfortable in the league in general as a wide receiver?
0: You know, it probably took me a couple years, um, honestly. My first year there, I was just, you know, felt like a chicken with his head cut off, just running around and not really um you know knowing the nfl game no knowing what it took to be a nfl wide receiver and the discipline it took and the dedication that it took um uh and the execution uh that you had to you had to bring it every single day and i got hurt my first year um so really didn't get to play a whole lot ended up going on injured reserve and and then my second year i came back and uh Just struggled, just struggled with my confidence, wasn't playing very well in training camp, was really fortunate to make the team and was inactive most of that year. And then uh, because of an injury, I got to start playing a little bit uh, around the 10th game of the season. And um, so it took me probably that late in that year to feel comfortable and that knowing that, you know what, I, I belong here and I can make plays in the NFL.
2: Well, you could say that you might have saved your best moment of that season for last, potentially the last game of your second season, ending up playing in the Super Bowl, becoming a Super Bowl champion when the Ravens beat the Giants in Super Bowl 35. You end up scoring the first touchdown of that game. And I have to ask for starters, you didn't happen to throw down any shekels that you would be the first touchdown, did you? Because that would (laughs) have got you a lot of money.
0: No, no, I didn't. But I've had a few people come up to me. And tell me that they did put some money on me to score the first touchdown. Whether I believe them or not, I'm, I'm not sure if they actually did it, but they did tell me that they did, and I, I want them some money. Uh, but you know, it's just a special moment. I just never could imagine uh, that I would actually be playing in a Super Bowl of all of all things, and um, and, and then to catch a touchdown on top of it, the first touchdown of the Super Bowl. Um, just was it's just you know, I still. Can't believe it. Um, And then to win it, you know, it's just like one of those evenings and nights and special year. And and then afterwards, you you just get to sit down with your family and just enjoy it and think about that moment and just spend time with with the people that helped you get there. Uh, Just it was just what a special week that was. And then the Super Bowl, obviously, um, it just it's, it's hard to put into words. It really is.
2: When it comes to Super Bowls, there's usually a lot of talk leading into the game that players and coaches want to keep their routine the same, and not let the media frenzy that's now come to the Super Bowl affect what they might do on the field in that game and just keep everything normal. I know there was a lot of leaders on that defensive squad with the Ravens. Trent Dilfer at quarterback, obviously had a pretty big influence under center. Did that help you as a second-year player maybe put things into perspective a little bit easier and maybe not be as nervous as you would have been playing in your first Super Bowl that young?
0: Yeah, no no question about it. We had great leadership. Um uh, you know, Brian Billick um he he had us prepared. He had us confident. Um we we knew, you know, it was, you know, I remember Tony Saragusa standing up and just talking about how long he's been in the NFL and not ever being having that chance of playing the Super Bowl. And uh, this is probably going to be it for him. And so, you know what, let's not miss out on this opportunity. Uh, You know, young guys, don't take this thing for granted, because I've been in the NFL for however however many years he was in the NFL. And he's like, this is my first time. And this is probably be my last time. Let's take advantage of it. So things like that stuck with me. And I realized that you know what, this might be it. This might be my only one that I'll ever get to play in. I'm, I'm going to treat it like like it's that, and I'm going to take advantage of it, and I'm going to prepare for it. And I'm not going to let anything distract me, but I, I want to win this game, and that's the bottom line. And You know, we, we accomplished that.
2: So five minutes in, I guess I can already put you on the spot. What was a better defense, your squad for that season, or Denver's no-fly zone defense in <laughs> Route 2 Super Bowl 50?
0: um is that Ravens defense no question about it um you know I didn't play on that Broncos I was just gonna say um, nobody's (laughs) gonna be coming
2: after you so you're good
0: right right I'm sticking I'm sticking with my guys uh but obviously both groups are really uh were really special and and carried their teams to Super Bowl victories um you know it's uh it it was a special group that we had in, in Baltimore we knew That if we could just not turn the football over and put up a few points, that defense was going to win it for us. And uh, that's what they're able to do.
2: Yeah, just don't mention this to Vaughn or Mr. (laughs) Tlaib when they come in the studio with you guys. Yeah, no. We didn't talk about that. Not
0: going to do that. Not going to mention that uh, to them. Going to forget about that. I'll
2: do the same. Was there anything in saying how you were able to become successful as a slot receiver? How you made that your niche? how you were able to become one of the best ones in the NFL during your playing career.
0: Well, you know, it all kind of started, um, in, in Indianapolis and I just, I didn't get there just to play the slot. You know, you didn't really have that position, uh, back then. Um, so I was an outside receiver that would, that would move inside and play some slot, but would also back up Reggie and Marvin. Um, and then it just kind of came by happen chance where, You know, I just was was doing well in the slot, and they just kind of said, you know, that's just where you're going to be, and they just kind of stuck me in there, and that's pretty much all I did. Um, And just being around Peyton Manning, the attention to detail, just knowing – that, you know what, you have to uh, just pay attention to the little things and you have to be perfect in practice and you have to practice it over and over and over again. So so when Sundays come, you don't think about it. it just You just react and you just do it because you, you spent countless hours doing it in practice, and uh, so Sunday is easy. Um, so obviously, obviously, you know, spending that time with Peyton um, really helped me grow as a receiver and just kind of fine-tune um, my my slot receiving skills
2: when you're preparing for Sunday was there one day in the week in particular that you viewed as the most important whether that was film whether that was stuff you were running through at the practice field or were they all just days sort of combined together to get ready for game day
0: you, you know, Thursdays for me was the big day because that's mainly, you know, that's a, a red zone day. That's the that's a big big third down day usually across the NFL. So that was kind of my day as a third wide receiver um, to really, you know, get get involved with the game plan, what's going on this week, and get myself ready for Sundays. It's a two minute drive. It's the Um, you know, it's, it's a big three wide receiver day on on Thursdays. And so that was kind of my day. That was my day to, to really fine tune everything that we've kind of put into place, our game plan and get ready for Sundays. You know, some of those practices, especially in Indianapolis, you know, I would wake up Friday and I'd be more sore Friday than I would be on Monday after games. That's just how intense those practices were.
2: Your career was interesting in regards to maybe broadcasters or analysts because alongside you at the time was Wes Welker and you guys pretty much had a, a similar role when it came to your respective offenses but there really wasn't many other receivers to compare you guys to it, it always seems like if you're talking about Wes Welker somebody would throw out Brandon strokely or vice versa and I, that seems to be the same way now in the National Football League where slot receiver guys get lumped into this small sum and they're usually white wide receivers if we're being slow white guys right white exactly guys. so
0: white guys you know they're, all, they're we all look the same and so just kind of put us all in a right a big basket together and that's you know that's that's who they are <laughs> did it take you
2: any amount of time to maybe develop confidence or, or get a chip on your shoulder that's needed not only just in the national football league in itself but for what you were doing to sort of go out and prove yourself every Sunday and show the guys like, Hey, I deserve to be out here just as much as you do.
0: You know, I mean, that's kind of what drove me my whole life was just, you know, I love to compete. And so whether it was basketball, baseball or football, you know, if I'm going to up against somebody else, look, I want to beat you, and it doesn't matter if it's practice. And if I don't, it, it eats at me, and it, it really bothers me, and it stays with me. And i I constantly have to, I constantly think about, you know, what do I need to change, what do I need to do better, and then I go to work at it. And so that was just my, always my mindset. I hate to lose, and it doesn't matter if it's one play uh, during a game; it, it just bothers me. And so that's what kind of drove me. Um, my my whole career what was that that i just hated to lose and um you know that's that was the driving force that that helped propel me to the nfl and play as long as i did
2: you mentioned moving on to the indianapolis colts that comes after four years with the ravens you step right into a high reeling offense and have the best nfl season you've had statistically and also get to now play under Tony Dungy, who we, of course, know is a Super Bowl championship coach and a great analyst now. Was there a big hurdle for you in moving to the Colts? How long did it take for you to learn their system and and just be able to gel with that team, dealing with the offense and then dealing just with the coaching staff as a whole as well?
0: Yeah, it it took me a little while to get used to the way that – you know Peyton likes to operate, and uh, the things that Peyton demands of, uh, especially his offensive players, and so I wasn't used to that kind of attention to detail and and accountability from you know a, a quarterback. Uh, um, you know we we had some good ones in, in Baltimore that that were great leaders, but nothing like you know Peyton Manning, and so it took a little while to get used to that um, and and to kind of grow with that offense. And, and we kind of grew together, you know, there was a base there and, and we just kind of evolved after a year, we just kind of kept doing more and more. And then we just kind of, um, you know, we, we all kind of grew together. We got Dallas Clark there the same year I got there. And, um, it was just really a special four years for me, um, to be able to spend that there and just kind of see where we started and to see where it finished. And, in, in 06 with with the Super Bowl, you know, we were there. Uh we won uh first year there we won a Peyton's ever, first ever playoff game, you know, and um and then to see when I finished there, you know, I didn't play in the game but to see him raising up the trophy, you know, that was the culmination of my four years uh there in Indianapolis and it was just, you know, like you said, it was the best uh ca- my career years statistics. Um my best years that I that I had in the NFL, so it was um uh, but it was just you know, four years playing with the best ever player Peyton Manning and just some unbelievable players. I guess
2: we can bring Peyton up since he's retired. I'm sure he's listening. Probably not. Yeah, of course he He, Absolutely. He's not doing anything (laughs) else. And I appreciate that as a huge Denver Broncos fan, his support of my show and of listening to one of his very good friends. You guys go back a long time, and I'm sure a lot of people know, but maybe some don't. You roomed together in the Manning Passing Academy camp while you were in college. You roomed together while you were in Indianapolis. And I'm sure that that probably helped in what you were able to do on the field. Did that friendship off the field contribute in any way or help develop your chemistry to what you guys were able to then bring to the field on Sundays?
0: Of course it did. You know, we, we had a great relationship off the field. Um, but you know what? It, it didn't really matter to Peyton, you know, on the field. He just demanded excellence no matter who you were. You know, it didn't matter if you were his best friend or if you weren't his best friend or if you're, you know, you were his roommate or you weren't his roommate. Look, if you didn't do things the right way, then you weren't going to be out there on the field. And so that's what made him different. You know, he wasn't afraid to speak up, you know, and to say the the tough things, even if you were his close friend. Um, If he felt like something needed to be said, he was going to say it. And a lot of times guys, you know, they, they just feel like they're your friend and they can't you know, uh, speak up when, when things need to be said. And that wasn't, uh, Peyton style. And so that's what made him so special as a, not only as a quarterback, but as a, as a leader. Uh, but you know, he was one of those guys that went out of his way to have relationships with everybody on the football team and, and make everybody on the football team feel like they were a part of that mission of, of trying to win football games every single week.
2: Is there any truth that Peyton Manning once got you benched while playing for the Colts?
0: <laughs> that that is, that is a true uh, story, no no doubt about it. he He still denies that uh, to this day. One day he will admit it. Uh, but i know deep down in my heart he did uh that's just the way he rolls you know i mean he's a competitor and and you know what it, it, we were in the heat of a game and um you know he uh he was wrong in his assumption of, of what happened on that play but he was frustrated and uh i know he got me benched and then uh and then the, the guy that replaced me ended up messing up even worse than he thought I messed up. And then so he got that guy Benson and put me back in uh, to that game. So it's pretty funny how it all worked out. We laugh about it now, but he still denies it. He's never quite admitted it to me yet, uh, but maybe one day he will.
2: Well, he can call in for a rebuttal. Peyton, the phone lines are always <laughs> open. If you'd like to give your side of the story, well, there is something you can hold over his head. You end up catching his record-setting touchdown pass to break Dan Marino's record. So, if it wasn't for you, that doesn't happen. We could just say that,
0: right? Yeah, he'd have been—he'd have been one short of it. You know, nobody else would have caught that one. You know, even though we still had another game to play um, after that. Uh, but yeah, of course, he owes me big time.
2: I know that that (laughs) touchdown as well made you and Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison, the first trio to have a thousand receiving yards and at least 10 touchdowns or more in a season. Just statistically, is this safe to say that that specific team was the best team that you played on on the offensive side?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you I mean, there, there hasn't been another trio to, I think, do that to this day. You know, where you, they've had over a thousand yards receiving and, and 10 plus touchdowns receiving. So um, that was a special group, uh, you know, just so much fun to just be a little bit a part of that and just to watch Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison work every single day. That's why they were special is because, man, they worked like no other practice was like a game day. And it paid off on Sunday, so uh, it was just it was special to just be a part of that group. Um, you know, we had Dallas Clark, uh, so we just had a lot of special players. It was just a fun, fun year. Um, and looking back to to you know to to kind of be a little bit of a part of that uh, was 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 so special.
2: Are you a little salty that he didn't throw the ball to you when he got the statue to him this year, and they had? Jeff Saturday is the center and he drops back to pass. I was waiting for you to run out and, and maybe tip it or intercept it just for old time's sake.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't know what happened there. I mean, of course it should have been me. I don't, I can't believe that, you know, Reggie loves the attention now. And so, you know, he's on the NFL network and you know, it's, so it's all about Reggie Wayne. So you know, of course, it had to be. It had to be him that that he he threw it to. So, you know, I'm just a guy. I just I just kind of stay out in the background, right? I don't I don't need the attention. And um, and so, of course, Reggie got to do it. <laughs> Reggie, you
2: can call in rebuttal too. We'll yeah, get there we go. There the we line. go.
0: I, I'm making a lot of people <laughs> mad today. I mean, you see that? You, you get me. You're gonna get me in a lot of trouble here.
2: Really, he should have threw. Three different passes, but you know, that might have got his arm tired, and we know what happened. He, he, <laughs> he, I
0: don't think he has that many passes left. You're right, that's, that's right, about it. just one.
2: He was throwing too many to you guys, so but that's there was a was lot standing. of pressure
0: on Reggie. So we were, we were in the tunnel before that. Is uh, um, and, and Reggie was you could tell he was a little bit nervous and he got some gloves. We we're like, what are you doing? Why are you getting gloves right now? And uh, that's when found out that you know they were that they had that that, that past planned. And, uh, so, uh, there was, there was pressure on him, you know, that, uh, that, that if he, you know, just imagine if he would have dropped that, he would have never lived it down. So there was pressure on Peyton to deliver and there was a pressure on Reggie not to drop it. Cause there's no do-overs, there's right. no do-overs, you know, I mean, the, 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 49ers were on the field, getting ready to, to, to start the second half with you know, Peyton's speech took too long as it was. And so, um, you know, it was time to get off the field. So no do-overs, he had to make the catch. He did like always.
2: It was a great ceremony and, and great to see that and have you guys get all together for it as well. And I'm sure there'll be a couple more reunions coming up as well when there's there's more enshrinements. And hopefully those guys come down and, and help you out in 2018, which we'll get to in a little bit when an enshrinement comes as well. I mean, Peyton has to be there for that. It's near his hometown. But anyway, we'll get there. Yeah, okay. Was there a lowest point for you in your NFL career? You mentioned not getting able to play (laughs) in that second Super Bowl, and I'm sure that was a heartbreaking thing. And there were just injuries that happened at unforeseen times throughout your career as well. Is there something that you had to overcome throughout all this that stands out?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think it would be that, you know, 2006 season. um, You know, we, we fought so hard. We had so many special teams. You know, our 2005 team was just, Look, it was an unbelievable team. Uh, We were a team of destiny. Our defense, we finally had a defense. They were dominating. We had the bye. We had the number one seed. We had everything just laid out for us. And, you know what, for whatever reason, we just didn't get it done. We lost um, uh, to the Steelers that year. And then 06 comes, and, um, you know, I got hurt in training camp, had a high ankle sprain, and tried to come back too early, re-injured it, tried to come back again, and, you know, hurt my knee, Um, And it just lingered for for week after week. And I I tried to come back uh, towards the end of the season with three or four games left and probably shouldn't have. I wasn't healthy, but I was frustrated. And I popped my Achilles in December um, in, in Jacksonville. And that was a game where our defense gave up like 300 yards rushing. We got destroyed. And it just seemed like the writing was on the wall. Season was over. You know, we lost our window and uh i tore my achilles uh and it was just just one of those years and it was just so frustrating and and uh somehow some way you know we figured it out and uh went on to to win that super bowl but to not be a part of it you know to not um be on that field with those guys and after four years of of trying to get to that point and finally uh, achieving that goal you just felt like um, you know, you really you didn't help. You didn't contribute because you weren't on the field, and so uh, that hurt. That hurt. You know, obviously it was a, it was a thrill, and so happy for those guys because you know they all deserved it. And but to not be on the field with them, it 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 hurts. So without a question, that year for me was um, just a tough year. But you know what it it taught me a lot about myself. I didn't know if I wanted to. Um, Continue to play football. I I thought my career was probably over because I didn't have a good year and I was, I was hurt and uh, just was not sure how the rest of my career would go. And um, you see how that season ended with the Super Bowl win, which was awesome, but uh, it was just a frustrating, frustrating year for me.
2: Yeah, you could have went out on a high note if, if that was it, and no one would have batted an eye, but then we wouldn't get to this point in the show where I've saved all my Denver Broncos <laughs> questions for last. So I like it. Perfect segue. So what people probably remember most from your first stint with the Denver Broncos is what's been known as the Immaculate Deflection a story that you've probably told a thousand times at least from fans. <laughs> it never
0: gets old. Look, I'll tell it a thousand more. I love that story. Right.
2: Well, I can't blame you for that. And for people that don't know, 2009 week one at Cincinnati against the Bengals, Denver is down seven, six, 28 seconds left, 87 yards to go. And Kyle Orton's pass to Brandon Marshall gets tipped high in the air, right into your hands. You ran the rest of the way for a touchdown. Gus Johnson on the call, very memorable, as excited as anyone calling that play. (laughs) That was the intro to Madden 11. I remember that because I played that game far too much, a little bit younger (laughs) in my days. And I think that was one of those scenarios in the game. You can play a famous moment in NFL history modes. I believe that was something that you could do as well. So all these years later and after hundreds of people asking, what still stands out to you about that play?
0: It's just everything. I just remember... That you know, our backs were against the wall, and just kind of thinking, like, you know, how are we going to get this thing accomplished? I think it was third down. We had tried two previous plays, uh, the play before uh, the catch that I made, um, it was almost intercepted on on, on their sideline. I still think that the ball was intercepted, uh, and we were third down, we were backed up, and uh, just the, the odds of something like that happening in the NFL just is it's, it's you'd probably never see anything like that. Again and and just running my route and and seeing the ball thrown over my head to Brandon Marshall and just like okay there we go and then like seeing a big collision and the ball just floating up in the air and and thinking okay maybe I'll get I'll get a catch but I'm about to get tackled and catching it and just kind of being in shock that there was nobody there where's everybody at like how how is you know they're playing prevent defense there there there's got to be somebody that's about to you know just crush me and then I just start taking off running just kind of. Like I said, in, in, in complete shock, and then and then I was as I was running, just just thinking like, you know, if somebody's about to catch me, at least I'll get in field goal range. And then there was nobody there, and and then at the last second, I was looking behind me, and I noticed that the the linebacker that was chasing me kind of stopped running, and so that's when I decided to take it down the goal line to you know waste three or four more seconds.
2: Is that still? A chills inducing moment whenever you might get to see that play.
0: Oh yeah, no question. Sometimes on, on on my radio show they play that that Gus Johnson call of it. Um and it just Gus Johnson made it. You know, he he's the best and he, he made that play um even more special. Uh so they uh they play bits and pieces of that clip all the time. You know, when I say crazy things, they, they, they come out with that that Gus Johnson call. So it's uh, you know, it's one of those calls that and one of those plays that will, you know, follow me forever. So
2: after Denver, there was a year with the Seahawks and then just two games with the Giants before you ended up on IR in 2011 and might have been mulling retirement. Your good friend, Peyton Manning, also might have shared some retirement thoughts in 2011 after having to have spinal fusion surgery and every time i say that i I still can't believe what ended up happening after that surgery was accomplished and everything that he had to go through to get back going into that 2012 season we remember the hoopla that surrounded where peyton manning would go as a free agent you were in colorado living at the time still hanging out playing golf and then things turned a little bit to where you were throwing around the football a little bit and getting into that sort of mode of maybe getting ready for the next season. I know there's been a lot of stories about this, but you can obviously answer the best. How much influence did you have of Peyton Manning coming to the Denver Broncos in 2012?
0: You know, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, that's probably um, a question for, for him to answer. You know, I tried. we talked about it um, a little bit, obviously, um, he stayed at my house when he, when he visited the Broncos, that was his first visit. Um, but obviously he put a lot of thought, talked to a lot of people about, you know, a lot of these different situations that he was looking at. And so, um, you know, what role I played, I I don't know. Um, I just try to be honest with him about my experiences with the Broncos, my experiences, you know, living, uh, here in, in Denver. Um, and, um, I wasn't sure where he was going. You know, I just, the one thing I did tell him was I was like, hey, when you decide whatever team that you decide on, just give me, give me a, shoot me a text and let me know before, you know, it breaks, it's it's breaking news. Just so I know, you know, beforehand, like, you know, made me feel a little bit special here. Uh, and so he did, he did do that. And I was in shock. I, I didn't, I, for some reason, I just, I, I thought it'd be just too good to be true that he would actually choose the Broncos uh, because at that time, I, w- I wasn't expecting to play uh, with the Broncos again, never, th- never, didn't really think about it. I thought my career was over. Um, but I-, I wanted my son to be able to just grow up here, uh, being a fan of the Broncos and be able to watch Peyton Manning play. So, um, you know, when he texted me that he was, he was coming to Denver, I was, I was in shock. I mean, I was in, I was, I was really in shock. I didn't think he would choose the Broncos.
2: What was the biggest difference, if there was any, from playing with Peyton 2.0 as opposed to his days with the Colts? Obviously, getting a little older and then having to deal with, he's come out and said that there were times he couldn't feel his fingertips. Wearing a glove, playing in the cold, you're both 36 years old. What what was different the second go-around with him as quarterback?
0: You know, I think he had a different mindset. You know, having spent that year injured, um, you know, I... I I don't want to say that he appreciated the game anymore because he, he couldn't, you know, I mean, he, he had that, you know, admiration and love and appreciation for the game from the day that I met him. Um, but just uh, maybe more of an understanding of what other guys have to go through when they get injured uh, because he had never gone through anything like that. Um, and so I I think it made him uh, just realize that, it, it, it could be taken away from him at any moment. He still had that drive. He still had that, that leadership. He still demanded excellence from everybody. Uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, just having spent that year away uh, and being injured, he kind of related to what, you know, most other guys had to deal with uh, playing in the NFL and being injured and being banged up and trying to fight through injuries and, and the toll that it takes on them.
2: That double overtime loss to the Ravens in the playoffs still stings, even though they went on to win the Super Bowl. And you can say that you lost to the defending (laughs) Super Bowl champions. I get it. It doesn't make it feel any better. It does not make me feel any better. Even with your relationship (laughs) with Baltimore, I know that still hurts. Do you think that team could have won the Super Bowl if that miraculous Joe Flacco pass doesn't end up getting caught?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I just knew we were destined to, and just it was just a year like no other. I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't expecting to play football anymore. And then the way that it happened, and um, I didn't know if I could play at a high level. Uh, and I, I felt, you know, it's just weird because I felt better at the beginning of the year and healthier than i did at the i mean at the end of the year than i did at the beginning of the year and just we had a great group of guys and it was just so much fun and then all of a sudden it just ended and it was just like i, I wasn't expecting it to my body didn't hurt i was ready to play you know for 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 six months more and just keep going with with we were just having so much fun and it just came to an end Uh, on one of the, you know, crazier plays that you'll ever see, especially, you know, getting them into uh, a tie with us. So um, it was definitely the, uh, one of the toughest losses, uh, if not the, the toughest that that I ever had because we had a special group um, and it was, you know, we were destined to win the Super Bowl, but we just didn't finish the game. And that's why, you know, you only, It's not a seven-game series like baseball or basketball. It's one game, and you got to play 60 minutes. you got to play good football, and if you don't, things like that happen. So um, it doesn't take away the joy that I had for that season and and the relationships that I made. It was a special year. Uh, A Super Bowl ring would have been nice, but I still look back on that year uh, with a smile and just, man, just so many great memories from that 2012 season
2: there was some revenge the following year in week one, seven touchdowns then against the Ravens just to prove maybe a little bit of a point, but you had to tell him that wasn't very nice. Cause you were then on the Ravens. So <laughs> maybe he could have waited till week two. So I don't I mean, know how that worked what, out.
0: What happened to me. I mean, it's like, it was, it was, I was wrong year, wrong team. You know, the next year I was on the opposite side playing for the Ravens and then uh, Peyton does that to me. So, uh, you know hey that's the way it goes but it was uh just watching that game and watching how he operated and uh, and the things that he did you knew that that was going to be a special year for him and it it, it turned out to be a, a magical year for him
2: so to close out everything that is peyton manning and get to what you're doing now i know there's people that just opine for peyton manning stories and there's been tales of him pranking teammates, family members, etc. <laughs> Perhaps there's a story where you might have gotten the best of Peyton in a prank or on the golf course. Do you have a quick Peyton Manning story where maybe you can have the upper hand this time?
0: Uh, you know, and see, this is the thing when when you when you deal with Peyton, one thing you have to know is he has more resources, he has more friends than you have, and people like him a lot more than they like you. So if you go at him. OK, you better not let him know that it was you, because if he does, you will pay two times uh, what you did to him. So I was always very careful in picking my battles and in trying to do any pranks on him because he's going to come back at you. So um, I, I knew not to cross that line uh, because it never turned out good for that person that crossed that line. So I knew that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not the smartest guy, but, you know, I can. I can figure things out sometimes, and that was one thing that I figured out early on. You don't mess with Peyton Manning.
2: Probably not a bad idea because you're right. He would come at you just as competitively as he did on the football field and probably right. wouldn't and then he might ice remorse. you. Then
0: he might ice you for like a week or two right. during practice, and you might not see a ball or, or a game or two. So, you know, I just like, hey, you don't mess with your quarterback and uh, for a lot of different reasons.
2: What made you decide to switch gears after – playing for five teams and and having a 15-year career in the national football league had a lot of doors available for you what made you decide to stay in denver to get into sports broadcasting and to start your roots there and and really develop your next step in your career
0: well just just love living here you know love the quality of life uh i got two boys and so they they got they started getting in activities and uh, we just decided to make uh, this our home. It's it's a tough place to be. It's it's clean. It's a lot of activities um, for kids uh, to do whatever whatever they want to do. You know, you want to ski. You want to play hockey, lacrosse. It, it's all available. So just kind of fell in love with the area here um, and, and decided to put down roots here. And I wanted to take a couple years off after football and just enjoy my family, play a lot of golf, just kind of do whatever I wanted to do. And I did that. And then I was starting to kind of look to see what what next chapter, what was the next chapter for me? Um, I love sports. That's really the only thing that I was ever good at. Um, and, uh, and and I, I grew up around football. You know, my dad was a football coach. So I, I was just kind of starting to look to see what I wanted to do. I didn't want to, you know, coach college because, you know, I know what that entails with my father. Um and uh you know you, you coach in the nfl you're gonna have to move i don't want to move anymore i want to denver's my home and so uh, just really I, I mean just came out of nowhere i got a phone call i was filling in on uh on our station every now and then and uh they just they just offered me the job and i i you know i didn't know how i would like it doing it every day talking for three hours a day and but just decided to take a leap of, of faith and, and try it out and try something different and um I knew I had a a lot of learning to do, kinda like football. I wanted to um work hard at it, practice and try to get better. Uh knew I had, you know, like I said, a lot to learn. And so I I, I went with that approach and just decided to do it and see see if I would like it or not. And you know, I love it. I really do. I got a great partner in Zach by and um I feel like um, you know, hopefully we we are entertaining and and informative, but uh just really, really having a lot of fun doing it.
2: Yeah, the station in general is is loaded with former Denver Broncos players and fans of the Denver Broncos, so I'm sure that that helped you transition into that sport broadcasting mindset with so many people around you that either played the game or know about the game to where you're able to slide into discussions a lot more easier and especially now with Zach having to develop chemistry with him over the past year or so and and really get going with that is there a cliff notes version for listeners that might want to tune into your show on what they might find every weekday and what you guys are able to put together for the three hours
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, we we mainly talk Denver Broncos, and so if you like the Broncos, you want to know about the Broncos, um, you know, that's what I study. I feel like I know them better than anybody, and uh, so uh, that's pretty much what we talk, but we also like to have fun, and uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously, you know, I'm not the, uh, you know, brightest guy in the world, so, you know, I I stutter a lot, Um, I mispronounce words, but. Uh, we we have fun and hopefully we're informative, like I said, and entertaining uh, in in the same way. And uh, we we have fun doing it, but uh, we don't take our ourselves too seriously. Uh, but we like to give, especially the fans that 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 love the Broncos, you know, the information on on what needs to happen, what happened, and why things are going the way that they're going.
2: So the next time I have you on the show, you can be my Denver Broncos correspondent and we can stop talking about Peyton Manning. That sounds great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, that's the one thing I know. I, I know football. I know the NFL and I feel like I know the Denver Broncos uh, better than anybody. So uh, I, I, I love talking uh, NFL. i love talking football. And, and so it's it's been it's been a lot of fun for me. Two
2: questions left, and one has to be for the Denver Broncos fans like myself. Is there a brief answer? Since I know you have to unfortunately talk about this every day, based on where the team currently stands, on what the biggest thing might be that they have to fix, whether that's in the short term or the long term.
0: You got to find a quarterback. I mean, that's the uh, that's the bottom line. Is you know they they thought they found one in Pax and Lynch, but they 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 missed on that. So. Um, you got to find a quarterback. You know, John Elway is, um, you know, just going crazy uh, trying to find that guy uh, because uh, they they have some holes to fill offensively. Uh, Obviously they missed on some draft picks and, and free agents, uh, but if, and if you don't have a quarterback, it's just magnified uh, those holes uh, on the offensive side of the football. So I guarantee you this offseason is going to be about finding, trying to find a franchise quarterback, and everybody's trying to find those guys unless you're, you know, New England or Green Bay right now, to find the franchise quarterback, find that guy that can take you to that next level. So that's that's the thing that they're missing right now uh, is the, the quarterback.
2: A cool moment on the show was when you were surprised with the knowledge that you will be selected into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame class of 2018 and got to hear people call in former coaches, family members, those close to you that surprised you with this opportunity. Peyton Manning, of course, had to drop a line as well toward the end. (laughs) But with some of the names that are already in that Hall of Fame, what does that mean to you to put another exclamation point on your career? Not only the moment getting to experience it live on air and have so many people reach out to you, but just in general for what this means to you as a football player to get into that Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, you know, um, that was such a special day. I was totally surprised. Just went to work like it was any other day. and um, Next thing you know, my wide receiver coach from college, is in the studio he pops in um and he's a big uh, dude you know, yeah 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 Gerald Broussard he is a big man and I've known you gotta know I've known him since the fifth grade uh he, he coached under my dad and so uh for for his you know from the fifth grade on so I, I've known him forever and he was my position coach there at uh, UL so uh but just getting receiving a phone call you know they just said hey you got a phone got a secret phone call here from um, and, and the man told me, you know, I was elected to the Louisiana sports hall of fame. And, and I, I was in shock about that. I thought it was what a great honor. And then next thing you know, like I said, my, my receiver coach surprised me in studio and then just getting the phone calls, you know, Dallas Clark, Jake DeLone, my, my college quarterback, um, Peyton Manning, my sister, um, my, my grandfather who, um, is 96 uh, and just, you know, he's been a big role model and influence on my life. And, uh, all those people called in just emotional day. And then, you know, my wife and my two kids were, were there also in, 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 uh, in the studio. So it was just one of those days that just started off like just any other day, you know, you go, you prepare for your show. And next thing you know, you have that news and you have that kind of, you know, they put all that together for me. It was just, just, I, 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 it was one of the most special days of my life, um, uh, and, and the way that they put it together was just – was was truly – it was just awesome. It was. It was such a special day, a uh, day that I'll always remember and just cherish.
2: Yeah, it was great to watch, uh, I have to say, and it was uh, – you could just see the smiles on everybody's face and, and hear them on the phone as well, how excited they were for you. So I'm sure that's going to be another – fantastic thing to get to be able to be a part of and speeches and great food so uh yeah certainly something part of the food Well, Brandon, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure to get to learn a little bit more about your playing days and hear some of your stories and peel back the curtain of not only what you did on the football field, but what you're doing now. And it's great to get to hear your analysis for the Denver Broncos. It's incredible insight on what the team's able to do. And like I said, hopefully down the road we can get back in touch and actually talk about the team, hopefully when they're doing a little bit better. But I do appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Um, and you do a great job. So, uh, keep it up and, uh, thanks for having me. We'll do it again. This is Brandon Stokely, the slot machine, and you're listening to the bridge.
2: You know, I was going to bring that up. If the slot machine was specifically <laughs> to you, or if people just threw that around to guys like Wes Welker, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Brandon. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: well that, that, I don't know. I mean, that was, that was the nickname they gave me back, uh, when I was in, when I was in Indy. So, um, you know, I, I was a little bit before Wes, just, you know, right before him. And then he kind of came on, you know, towards the, the, the end there uh, of my indie days. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I take that nickname. That's mine.
2: Yeah. Then he took your spot in Denver. So you take the nickname. That's yours. <laughs>
0: That's mine. That's my nickname. So you can't have that.
2: Thanks again to Brandon Stokely for jumping on the show. We'll now jump into another edition of The Booth with Donnie Rightside. Donnie is a professional handicapper who knows a thing or two about the lines of the sports world. And we'll be joining the bridge for a weekly segment to help get us on the right side of those lines. He'll offer up some of his best bets to correspond with the bridge fade of the week, where listeners are urged to completely go in the opposite direction of what the show picks. <laughs> Now to someone who actually knows what he's doing, you can find Donnie at DonnieRightSide.com and at SportsBookReview.com and also follow him on Twitter. He's at RightSideVP. And remember, this segment is for entertainment purposes only. Without further ado, here's this week's edition of The Booth with Donnie RightSide.
1: Has anybody got a dime? Oh, yeah, I don't have any I got Somebody's got to go back and get a shitload of dimes. Oh,
3: <laughs> Hey everybody, Donnie Wrightside here from SportsbookReview.com and DonnieWrightside.com. Happy to be a part of the Bridge Here podcast and this is the toll booth. as you know. Last week, you got some extra money in your pocket out there, folks. Both a nice, clean sweep won our game in NCAA football and also NFL football, folks. A perfect 2-0. That's the way it's supposed to go. If they're struggling back and forth for the past couple weeks, we do nail the 2-0. And I'm expecting to nail that 2-0 again this week for us. Why don't we get started again? We'll keep it the same simple terms every week that I appear here on the bridge and the toll booth episode here so we can get some money in your pocket we'll keep it the same we'll go one game in college football folks and then we'll spin it over and we'll go one game in NFL football let's go to college football we're going to start on Saturday 2 p.m eastern time kickoff that rotation is 351 352 it's going to be rice versus old dominion if we take a look at this football game it's say die there's so many different games on the board. Why do you like this one? Comes down to some simple thoughts on this time of the year. Some teams are just playing out the string a la Rice versus a team like Old Dominion, who's still playing for bowl eligibility. Unless you're in like the SEC or the ACC, you know, getting to a bowl is pretty much exactly what you're going to wind up with unless you're a terrible football team. But some of these lower power, outside the power five in the group of five conferences, that's what they live for. They just want to get to a bowl game, you know, extra practices. You get to spend, you know, a day, maybe the Bahamas, depending if you get to the Bahamas Bowl, something in a tropical paradise, they should be able to enjoy it. If we take a look at the football game, Rice, not very good. Going back five games, lost 49-12 to to Army, 20-7 versus University of Texas San Antonio. Louisiana Tech beat them 42-28. UAB beat them 52-21. And Southern Miss beat them 43-34. So not showing much fight in their 1-9 record. Old Dominion, on the other hand, getting a little bit more healthy as the season goes on. Did take a big loss five games ago to Marshall at 35-3. Western Kentucky, a little bit closer, 35-31. Another close game against good North Texas squad, 45-38 on the road. Beat Charlotte 6-0 at home and went on the road with a nice victory last week to beat FIU 37-20. to They shouldn't have too much problems here with Rice. The line is cheap at the time that we are uh, filming this episode there. We do have it listed at minus 8 pretty much across the board. So we're going to lean on taking the Old Dominion Monarchs here on Saturday as our toll booth play of the day for Saturday. So that's going to be again rotation 351-352. Old Dominion lay the points there. I think they win by double digits. We'll have some fun with that football game. Why don't we flip it over folks till Sunday 425 p.m. Eastern time. Game's not even going to be played in the United States folks. That's okay. still think we can make some money off it. That's going to be New England and Oakland played at Azteca Stadium in Mexico City. Mexico 471 472 on the rotation. At the time of taping, the prevailing spread is six and a half in this football game, so we're going to go ahead and take the New England Patriots, folks. It only gets better for them. If we look at Oakland over the last five games, uh tough loss to Baltimore, 30-17, also lost to the Los Angeles Chargers, 17-16, prevailed on a Thursday night game of the year type situation, 31-30. You know, it took five, six, seven plays inside the goal line to actually click and get a victory there for the Oakland Raiders at Buffalo. It was 34-14, a very poor performance, and beat the Miami Dolphins 27-24 on Sunday Night Football. Now they're going to take on the New England Patriots, who seem to be Only getting better, folks, as the year goes on. Thursday night football game five games ago versus Tampa Bay, 19-14. Beat the Jets 24-17 on the road. Came home with a beautiful victory over the Atlanta Falcons, 23-7. Beat the Chargers 21-13. And last week, annihilated Denver. Uh, as we all saw, 41 to 16, the team is clicking. They're just getting underway at this point. I don't think the Oakland Raiders is going to put up a huge fight in this one. I look for the Patriots to win this game by seven plus points. So we're going to lay the points here with the New England Patriots here on the Tobo So That's going to be one game in college football. Rice Old Dominion. We're going to lay the wood with Old Dominion, and we're also going to be a favorite on Sunday. That would be the New England Patriots and Tom Brady to cover the 6.5 over the Oakland Raiders. Let's see if we can go for another 2-0 and o this week on the bridge. It's always a lot of fun. Love appearing on the show. Hopefully we can win some money there on the toll booth, as we like to call it. Crossing back and forth. Extra money in your pocket. No time for easy pass. Let's win some money again this week, folks, and go 2-0. and o. Once again, this is Donnie Rightside from SportsbookReview.com. And DonnyRightside.com. let's win some money, folks.
1: Left side!
2: we'll close out the show with another installment of five minutes in the film room with joe Burris. Joe and I have been teammates on the basketball court, sports editors for our college newspaper that is no longer in literal print, and hosts for the prestigious John and Joe Sports Show, which was once found on 99.5, WUSR Scranton, and the Royal Television Network. Since Joe usually sees more movies in a year than the 52 weeks within it, he now holds the reins to this segment. And don't worry, there aren't any plot spoilers, so you'll still be able to see these films just with a better understanding of what will be in store if you do so along with Joe's final rating of the film compared to something or someone in the sports world. This week, Joe will break down one of my favorite books, now in a second installment of a movie, Murder on the Orient Express, which Rotten Tomatoes describes as what starts out as a lavish train ride through Europe quickly unfolds into one of the most stylish, suspenseful, and thrilling mysteries ever told. From the novel by best-selling author Agatha Christie, Murder on the Orient Express tells the tale of 13 strangers stranded on a train where everyone's a suspect. One man must race against time to solve the puzzle before the murderer strikes again you can find joe on twitter he's at duke mish that's d-u-k-e-m-i-c-h you can also read his movie reviews previews and ratings at cup joe.com again that's cup of dash or hyphen or whatever you'd like to call it joe.com and without further ado here's this week's edition of five minutes in the film room with joe Burris. <laughs>
1: What's up everybody, I'm Joe Burris, and this is... Five Minutes on the Film Roll. It's a little weird to say I knew nothing about Murder on the Orient Express until I saw the trailer for the 2017 remake, but here we are. My friend actually texted me while I was mowing the lawn and said, that Murder on the Orient Express trailer looks good, and I had no idea what she was talking about. So I went to YouTube and watched the trailer. Now I usually say movies really only need one trailer, especially for a person like me who sees a movie at least once a week, but I never believed that more so than after watching the teaser for Murder on the Orient Express. Someone has died on a train. This is the amazing ensemble cast of which one of them did it, and the person left to figure it out happens to be Hercule Perrault, the greatest detective in the world. Sign me up. Here's some of the cast, and try to keep up. Kenneth Branagh, Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp, Josh Gad, Aaron Burr himself, Leslie Odom Jr., Derek Jacoby, Michelle Pfeiffer, and the star of the newest Star Wars trilogy, Daisy Ridley. What more do you need? And before we start, I apologize for my poor accent when I say the name of the great Belgian detective, Hercule Perrault.
3: Can you Americans speak any other language than English? Uh, We both speak a little Italian. It's an atrocious accent, no doubt.
1: But I'm gonna go for it every time I have to come across it. So let's go to the tape. While starring in the film as Peau, Brano also serves as director. And his touch on the movie is felt early on. When you're watching a brano directed film, it's probably going to look beautiful. I learned this most with the first Thor, where Branagh creates the gorgeous realm of Asgard, complete with the illustrious Rainbow Bridge. In Murder on the Orient Express, it became evident early on this would be a nice movie just to look at. And it wasn't just the color. The tracking shots and the movement of the camera within the confined space of a train made the scenes exciting when they easily could have felt stagnant and boring. So the direction was excellent, because Branagh had a clear handle on the movie he wanted to make. He's also incredible acting in the lead role, as, of course, Hercule Perrault. In a stack cast, he stands out as the best. It's probably a waste of my breath to also say the rest of the cast was solid, too, because of its caliber, but some shined brightest. Pfeiffer was probably the best of the supporting cast, but I also enjoyed Ridley, and I'm a big Defoe fan, and he brought it again. I also thought with such a big cast, this movie did an amazing job balancing all the talent you learn something about each character, or at least what the characters want you to know. Again, this is all a testament to Brano's spectacular direction. Just to add to it, the production design really brings you into the time periods of the 1930s. But this mystery would be made or broken by its substance. What is the payoff? This has to be a good story. The film kicks off showing the character of Perot and his intelligence by giving him a crime to solve. What bothered me there was the opening crime didn't really seem that difficult to figure out. I do understand that Perot thinks he is the greatest detective in the world and eventually learned this as we watch him interact with people. It does a nice job showing how he looks at the world in a different way than everyone else. But as far as the opening scene, I was about as unimpressed as gymnast Michaela Maroney. The rest of the way, the story is sound and keeps you on the edge of your seat with a good payoff. Going into this film, I more so expected a clue. More of a fun murder mystery. And the beginning tone will have you believe that. The movie starts with a light tone, with a good amount of humor. But there's a point to it, because this movie has so much more substance than a fun mystery with some humor. It pushes the main character, Perrault, to places he has never gone in his career. It gives him growth and makes him relatable. I was pleasantly surprised. The bottom line, Murder on the Orient Express is a beautifully shot and well-acted film driven by the phenomenal direction of Branagh, who, if you recall, plays Hercule Perrault. The story succeeds, providing thrills and a good payoff. I don't know if the movie made any changes from the novel or the 1974 film, but I do know that this 2017 version does work for those who have never experienced the original properties. I was surprised to see the mixed reviews on this. Maybe that comes from comparing it to the 1974 film, but I don't think it can be denied that the filmmaking is top-notch. The entertainment value is very much there, and flaws are few and far between. I'll rank Murder on the Orient Express as Pau Gasol, who is my second Spurs power forward to get a movie named after him. Gasol has a reputation for being soft, but his talent and numbers cannot be denied. And Kobe doesn't get to five championships without Pau Gasol. And one last time. Yo, cute Sexy.
0: Check! Uh,
2: check, please. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Thursday night. And also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And can listen to the show live on Wednesdays on TuneIn by searching for Sports Radio America. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll dabble in the NBA, dive into Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve, on The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.